Sometimes I think all I want is to find a mean guy and make him be nice to me, or maybe a nice guy who's a little bit mean to me. But they're usually too nice too soon, or too mean too long. Carrie Fisher Some say nice guys finish last. Others say that nice guys are running a different race entirely. And that nice guys are the tortoises in a world where being a hare is a guilty want among men. Here's the quandary. If being a nice guy is so good, why are nice guys never nice to themselves? If you can't give love to yourself, how in the world can you give it to somebody else? Maybe nice guys, as people sling that slur, aren't so nice after all. For your consideration. Welcome, my lovely human, to the Naked Rain Experience. Ah, I've missed you. How have you been? You're a rock star, and I'm your number one fan. Keep shining that light, and let's keep this thing going. Today, I've got the legendary men's transformational coach, Tim Neal, on the line, and we're going big time into our personal experiences with being called nice guys. We're touching on everything from people-pleasing to shattered boundaries. It's deeply personal for me. And while I talk a lot about my experience as a nice guy, that extends to women too. Everyone has these experiences. And if you resonate, Tim and I share some things you can do to start the process of leaving that people-pleasing persona behind you and start feeling more into how and why your needs matter. Stick with us. We're never going to give you up. I am Stan Rain, your decadent host, men's transformational mentor, martial artist, builder of kingdoms, and lover of old fashions. On Instagram and Facebook, we're at Naked Rain Experience. From there, please join our private Facebook group if you're looking to bring some light into your feed, or you can hang out and have an old-fashioned with me on Instagram, at Stan the Old Fashioned Man. The Naked Rain Experience is about getting naked to reveal all of who we are that we've hidden from everybody, and that includes ourselves. We're stripping away the disguises the people in our tribes and circles threw onto us our entire lives, revealing our authentic selves, shining that light. That's why we're all here together, to reveal and to heal. So, let's get uncomfortable. Let's get messy. And let's engage our hearts and our minds by asking some seriously deep questions. Let's shine our lights together and help others lost in this thunderstorm we call life find their way too. The Naked Rain Experience is recorded at Rain Soundworks Recording Studio. Come with me now, and let's reveal our universe of possibilities. I appreciate you. There's a little bit of an epidemic going on. Actually, a lot of it, from what I can see. It's everywhere today. Arguably infecting more people now than ever before. Some people don't immediately show symptoms on the surface. But oh man, they are infected. It pervades every single aspect of their lives. 
whether they realize it or not. It has affected so many people for so long. We classify its effects as normal. We have normalized this disease. We've passed it down from generation to generation, with each subsequent group not even knowing or understanding what a disease-free lifestyle could even look like. This disease affects us mentally and very directly. It often has us feeling completely out of control of our actions. It's almost like it's a mind-controlling parasite that forces us to do things even when we really don't want to. It has us believing that we can't reach out for our dreams, to go and do the things we actually want to do. Or, worse yet, it blinds us to what we even actually want. So we don't even get to imagine what a dream life could look like. Our needs? Psh, what needs? This disease disconnects us from who we truly are. It divorces us from our ability to generate love for ourselves. So it forces us to run to others to get that love. Under this sort of parasitic mind control, we run and search for love and acceptance externally to be validated and acknowledged by others, letting go of all of our power. It makes us think we only matter when someone else says that we do. So ironically, this thing makes it almost impossible to form stable and healthy relationships because it ends up draining and infecting the other person if they're not already infected by it. It often drives us into madness and depression, many times into isolation. It drives us into a state of feeling alone, isolated, even in a room full of people, room full of our friends and family. Even when falling asleep with our partners clutched to our sides, still end up feeling like we're the only person in the universe and no one understands or loves us makes us feel like we matter less and less each day. And then that voice, oh, that menacing voice of this parasite. You know the one I'm talking about. It sounds like you in your own head. It's stolen your voice. It whispers to you constantly, serving example after example of just how much of a fuck up you are. Victories and wins, it tells you to do better because you're undeserving of them. When someone says they love you, the voice scoffs and says, No, they don't. How could they love a loser like you? They trick us into believing that they are us, these parasites. They usurp our consciousness and get us to believe that we are worthless. This disease comes in many flavors. The symptoms are known by lots of different names. I'm going to call this by the name I've grown to know it very, very well. This disease is called people-pleasing nice guy syndrome, and I'm still recovering from it. In fact, I'll be recovering from it for the rest of my life. If I don't keep doing the work, it'll threaten to come right back. Okay, so, sensationalism aside, this is a very real and very legitimate issue among people today. As I've grown in my time with men's groups and ongoing deeper work, in my own inner world every day. It's easier for me to see this nice guy syndrome or nice girl syndrome in other people. Whereas before, it was impossible for me to see it because I was in it. It's invisible if it's controlling you. I look to many of my peers and friends and I can almost see the parasitic effects of their people-pleasing crawling all over their faces. Feel it in their energy field. And the more work I do and the more people I meet, 
the more I see this as a crisis of epidemic proportions. In me personally, I've seen how this really manifested in every area of my life. It kept me living at home with my mom for the past three decades. It kept me staying in jobs I outgrew years prior. The universe decided to move me in another direction. It kept me from chasing my past dreams of being a world-famous sound designer. And it kept me from building a safe space for my partners in past relationships. And they went elsewhere. I had finally had enough. And I chose to take my life back from this dangerous parasite. Going into deep inner men's work is perhaps the most valuable investment I've ever made in myself. It's opened up so many avenues of healing that I didn't even know that I needed. And one of those avenues is in the area of brotherhood, the area of having a group of healthily masculine men who genuinely care and love me, creating a space where I can share my shit, be open and vulnerable, and not be judged. That was my gateway into being able to pick apart my nice guy programming. The group allowed me the space to set everything on the table in front of me and the guidance to understand all the little bits and pieces of myself that I didn't even recognize. And of course, the fierceness of accountability and holding my ass to the fire so I could keep growing and not let that old habit come back and have any power over me. In that group, I met many amazing people. One of these people is Tim Neal. Tim is a men's transformational coach, and he's been coaching for the past eight years. He works with men and helps them get accustomed into leaning into their masculinity and learning when to dive into their feminine energy. The healthy balance. The dance, as he coins it. Tim has always been a model for me. He's a coach, and yet he walks his walk, and he still makes sure that he still gets coaching and mentoring. It's a lesson for me that we're always working on ourselves. And also just underscores the importance of these inner workspaces. Tim's mission is to facilitate the goal of helping 100,000 men. Many of them are nice guys, just like myself, who need the modeling of coaches like him to break out of their prisons and to help them finally start living their lives. Tim, it's a genuine pleasure, brother, to have you right here on the Naked Rain Experience. Thank you, Stan. Uh, It's a real pleasure to be here. All right, Tim. So I'm going to come straight out of the gate and ask you because I'm notorious for not doing this at the beginning of the show. Tell, tell my listener a little bit more about yourself. So like where you come from and how you started into the men's coaching space and, and all of these wonderful things. Yeah, well, thank you for having me, man. And, um, you know, my story is, is riddled with struggles and successes like most. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm an Aussie, as you may hear from the accent. And I grew up as an athlete and my whole uh, world revolved around being an athlete and being a star performer uh, and achievement. That's how I validated myself and gained the approval and love as a, as a child. And uh, as I moved through being an athlete as a young young kid and into my teenage years, uh, I was lucky enough to go semi-professional there. And what I learned along the way is that I wasn't good enough. Mm. You know, I, was, I had talent. I was pretty good, but I wasn't quite good enough to go pro. And within that, I needed to find what I wanted to do with my life because all I knew was that, mm-hmm. being an athlete, uh, which led me into the fitness industry, a nice little sort of add-on. And I worked in the fitness industry as a personal trainer, as a mentor, as a speaker, as a lecturer for a decade and uh, had always been into personal development for performance, 
how can I use this thing called personal development to help me with my, my sporting career? And I played rugby. And so I was always into personal development and I'd, you know, read the books and I started going to seminars and I'd, you know, get mentors and coaches and whatnot, uh, mainly in the sporting arena. And then I went into fitness and uh, actually went into Tony Robbins' world. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you or your listeners are aware of Tony Robbins. He's you know, incredible at what he does. Yes. So I went down that rabbit hole and for many years um, did a lot of Tony's work to the point where I was working at, working at his events. And uh, to this day, I have many incredible friends and I'm still involved in that, in that in his community. However, I got some coaching. I was struggling in a relationship and also my business at the time, my fitness business, I wanted to take that to another level and I just felt stuck there. And I got some one-on-one coaching and it absolutely revolutionized and changed how I thought about myself mm-hmm. and about the world. Mm-hmm. And I came out of that coaching feeling like, wow, this is so impactful and could I do this myself? Because what I'd started finding, brother, is my personal training clients, they'd come in for a workout and then we'll talk about what's happening in their, their, their life outside the gym. Mm, mm-hmm. And they'd leave, like, oh, my God, that was an incredible session. And we did like four push-ups. Like, cool. Now, I say that tongue-in-cheek because obviously the workout was important, but what was more valuable to them was that connection, yes. was that understanding of like, hey, here's somebody in my world who cares, who understands me, not just here in this thing called the gym and my physical body, but also my emotions, my mindset, my spirituality, mm. and everything that's happening outside of the gym. And that got me thinking, is this something that I could do? Because I wanted more freedom. I was sick and tired of getting up at 5 a.m., getting to the gym, and then staying <laughs> till late, right? So that led me down this track of, of looking into being a coach. And I remember giving myself six months. I said, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm, I'm shifting. I'm changing my life. And that's what I did, man. I... I shifted, I changed, I gave myself six months, I transitioned out of the fitness industry into full-time coaching. Mm. That was back in, uh, I started coaching in 2012, I transitioned fully by 2014. I made the decision six months prior to that, but that's what I'm doing for the freedom and from all the way through since, uh, I've been blessed, man. I mm. work with incredible clients around the world. I've done different types of coaching, health coaching, relationship coaching, traditional life coaching, business coaching. And now I'm a men's transformation coach working with incredible brothers like yourself. And it's so fulfilling and rewarding. And I'm deeply grateful for it. I got to back up a little bit. Even like back in those days when you were just doing traditional like fitness coaching um, or sports coaching, you're doing life coaching essentially even back then. I can kind of relate a little bit in the sense of like the reason why that I'm pursuing coaching so much. When I went, used to go out karaokeing, you know, when the world was nice and open and I'd go out and hang out with my friends, you know, we're all singing songs and, um, and yeah, they're all usually like in bars and, and stuff like that. And I'd find a place to sit, just chilling out, waiting for my turn to, uh, to go up and sing. I might have an old fashioned or something. And then someone sits, sits next to me and I like, I look over, I'm like, Hey, what's going on, dude? And he's like, Hey, yeah, what's going on? And then we start talking And then we start connecting. I'd never really understood what I was doing, but suddenly he felt, he or she felt safe enough to start telling me things Mm. and start opening up. And then suddenly, like they reveal a a pain that, that they're going through. Like they, you know, their mom is on her deathbed and they're upset because 
to their to their eyes she was a shitty mom and they don't know if they can forgive her and then i'm like okay let's go outside you know because they're crying and then we <laughs> kind of help them through their pain mm-hmm. and then after that they're like oh my god thank you so much you know i'm going to make this x change right now and it's like how can i repay you can i buy you a drink i'm like you've already loaded me up with like seven jameson shots um i need to be able to get home <laughs> you're good um but uh dude for me that's fascinating because it's it's like you there's always that in you there's always that capacity there's always that in us in which we've kind of always been doing it even if we weren't perfectly absolutely sure that that's what we were doing at that time and then just as we keep going our lives it the path just kind of gets elucidated gets clearer and clearer and then it's like oh wait no this is what i should be doing this is the path totally man i resonate with that and i was the kid that and growing up through high school that other kids would come with their secrets too. <laughs> yes <laughs> and there's this loyalty yep. there they're just that's a huge value of mine loyalty and they'll come and start just sharing and oh can you keep a secret or can this stay between us and and I would, I'd honor their word. I'd honor my word, I should say, and honor what they're sharing with me and not go and gossip and blab and, and you know, talk to everybody about that just to gain my own self-worth. So mm. I take that really seriously. Um, and I think it's a natural progression, like in, in the world that it is today with, with so many coaching opportunities. And uh, it's an it's a incredible career if you're that way inclined, if you've got the interpersonal skills that can be developed as well. But if you've got that innate you know, openness, like mm-hmm. it sounds like you do too, brother. And I know you well enough to absolutely feel that you do. Mm-hmm. Then there's nothing more than when a, when a human feels accepted, feels seen and feel, and f- feels heard. Yeah. That's such a gift. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. But let me back up, man. I'm really interested. What, what's your favorite karaoke song? <laughs> <laughs> I walked right into that one, didn't I? <laughs> Usually I keep it a secret specifically so that when i'm with a new group of people i surprise them with it <laughs> yes but uh, but no i'll totally share uh never gonna give you up by rick astley right on never gonna give you up never gonna let you down there we it's, go it's kind of like my no. like, that's like my theme of my coaching too i'm never gonna give you up or let you down man <laughs> that's awesome yeah that was my uh the very 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 first time that i went karaoke in like decade uh decades no um probably right like 10, 12 years ago. Mm. This was with a whole other group of people, but they got me to go out and the, uh, the ringleader of the group, she's like, I have, I'm doing a karaoke business. I need some support. You mind if you come out and just kind of be there? I'm like, yeah, sure. And I go there and I'm watching the people sing and she wants me to sing. And I'm like, there's not enough beers in this place to get me to go and sing. But sure enough, there, there was. <laughs> There, there was, was enough old fashions. There was enough at that time. I didn't even know that. Like I liked the old fashions at that time. It was beer. <laughs> I graduated to old fashions later. Uh, but yeah, I had to just like find. Like I don't know what song to sing. Um, how, I'll just rickroll everybody. Let me let me do. Never gonna give you up. Yeah. And it was. I didn't do it very well. But everyone got such a huge kick out of it. Uh, that's usually my opening song. And that's usually why I keep it a secret too. Um, like when. I meet people like out there and they're like, Hey, you're going to sing. I'm like, yep. What song? It's a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's just about, you know, having fun and having fun with life, uh, like being in the men's group and really putting everything on the table. As I said before, like I can, I can really feel into that now, just really feeling into mm. what, 
like what I want to do, what makes me feel good. And then that just radiates out to everybody else. Everyone else feels that energy. Yeah. And this story does really relate to what we're talking about, because I can remember before that we were all, you know, caged up at home. Yeah. Even like a even like a couple of years ago when I would go out and, you know, and I'm still going out and trying to be social, I felt very awkward. I felt very like not comfortable in my own skin. And that weird nervousness that filters out, you know, other people can kind of feel that. But then my secret power of being able to open up and being vulnerable, that kind of helped me get past that. Because like, as I started to get comfortable, then the weirdness kind of goes away. But now, connecting with people is so amazingly different now. I'm a lot more relaxed. I'm a lot more, like, I'm super comfortable in my own skin and how I show up and present myself. And I just want to smile, laugh and have fun and have other people have fun and try old fashions. And it hit me the other time that I went out that, wow, this, this is so completely different and everything that I've ever wanted out of being able to connect with people. Mm. And um, when I use the term breaking out of that nice guy prison, that's exactly what I felt like when I was really stuck in my whole nice guy scenario, the nice guy feeling. There's a person inside of me that I don't want people to see, but at the same time, I do want them to see it. Super confusing. And now, breaking out of that, learning that I matter, I'm enough, my boundaries are worth respecting, just sit back and just allow myself to be And it's one of the most freeing experiences of just getting out of of being a nice guy. Because, like, I see it everywhere. Mm. I see it, um, old friends coming back, and they're telling me, they're giving me updates because I I haven't seen them in forever. But the way that they're talking about themselves and the issues that they're having in their relationships, I'm like, oh, my God, you're a nice guy. (laughs) Like, you're, you're just like me. Yeah, I see that in the new people that I meet, the same people pleasing behaviors. I see that um, online when people are having like arguments and stuff and I'm seeing what they're arguing about and I'm seeing how how they show up. And I'm like, wow, there it is, too. I see it everywhere. Uh, I'm very Mm. interested to know, to hear your opinion about it, how it shows up for you. Yeah. Just to speak to your introduction, the the pandemic and this. You know, this nice guy, this people-pleasing um, part of us. And for me, it, it's, it shows up everywhere, but also nowhere when you bring self-awareness. And I want to honor you, brother, for having so much self-awareness around this piece of you, this part of you, mm-hmm. and being able to play with it. Mm-hmm. And what you. I mean by play with it, yeah, is it's, it's innate. It's a part of every single human, I believe. And if we look historically, this comes from as we're – tribal beings as we're social beings that we don't want to be cast out of the tribe so it's actually within our best interest to be liked by others because if we got cast out of the tribe in evolutionary times that would mean certain death so what do i need to do who do i need to be so the tribe likes me so i get to stay so i feel safe Mm. now fast forward a few hundred thousand years all of a sudden that is no longer there the getting cast out of the tribe, but we have our own version of that, judgments. We have our own self-doubts, our insecurities, our fears that are psychological by nature and get stored in the body as opposed to the actual real innate 
survival fear that the saber-toothed tiger is going to kill me if I get cast mm. out of the tribe. Yes, ending up being dinner. Yep. Exactly. So it's playing with that. And what I've done over the years, and I do it with my clients, is, okay, let's start pulling those nice parts out of us, the, the nice guy. And there's a great book. I know you know of it, No More Miss the Nice Guy by, <laughs> by Glover. Yes. Yeah. And this people-pleasing part. And most of the time what I've found, and I used to do this a lot, and hey, full disclosure here, it's still part of me. Mm. There are times where I'm absolutely living through that people-pleasing part, through that nice guy, and here's the kicker. It's okay. It is okay. Yeah. The question is, do we live from that part majority of the time mm-hmm. unconsciously like I used to? It sounds like you had that, that pattern as well. Or do you bring more awareness, more consciousness to the pattern and then catch it and play with it? And something that I feel called to share here is we may have heard, you and your listeners may have heard, what, we, what resists persists. Yes. Now, there's a second part to that. What we befriend, we transcend. So I'd be curious, brother, on where did this people-pleasing part come from? When, where was it born? When was it born from within you? I feel that it was born within me. It really started uh, back in high school. But if I'm honest with myself, I can go even further back in time to probably around, I want to say around middle school is mm-hmm. when I feel the people-pleasing started. I was, I guess, fortunate, um, depending on how you're looking at it, fortunate enough to go to a private school in my elementary and middle school days. And like, I can, I can talk about my parents um, all day long. I have uh, great parents. Thankfully, my mom is still with me and they weren't, they weren't perfect and they worked a lot. And so there are things that I can explore in what I didn't get as a child that can manifest Mm -hmm. to what I'm dealing with now, but through no malicious intent on my parents. And so like for me doing this deep work, for me, that's kind of scary to go that far back and to really look at how my parents Mm. raised me because it's like, no, I love my parents. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, see them as bad people. But then I let that go. And I'm like, you're not trying to find fault with them, you know, because they're not perfect. Their, Mm. their parents aren't perfect. You know, everyone is doing the best that they can with the tools that they're given at that particular time. And so, yes, if I'm honest with myself, there were certain areas around the middle school, maybe late elementary school, in which my parents working excessively, me being at school and wanting to do good for the teachers and wanting Mm. to be liked by everybody and getting a lot of praise, reinforcement of that behavior for showing up in that way. I mean, I had other issues with like not doing my homework and stuff. And so there was almost (laughs) attention seeking that way. I really started caring what people thought, what these, what these parental figures thought, what my teachers thought. So it started there. Once I started getting into high school, it's where I thought it originally started. No, that's just where it was cemented because I went to a Mm. public high school and everybody's an asshole in high school. I hated high school. You know, it was very difficult for me to to make, I guess, reliable friends, like people who I can feel that I can really count on, that I can really be open with. And yet somehow, just like you, they would always come to me with their problems and open up to me. And I'm, I was like the the surrogate counselor. And I'm like, mm-hmm. OK, well, you know, um, who am I to give advice? But maybe you should try this or try that or I don't, what? 
<laughs> like, did you wear a condom at least? You're, why? Don't be an idiot. <laughs> I remember uh, one specific instance in which um, I forgot exactly what I said. Talking about U.S. history and the teacher uh, asked the question and then I raised my hand and I'm like, yeah, didn't we didn't we go to war for that? Because I wanted to kind of like be acknowledged as like, I'm not stupid. And then the teacher mm. says, yeah, that was the Revolutionary War or something like that. Very offhandedly like, yeah, you idiot. Like that's, mm. you know, like that's obvious history. And then everyone just bursts out laughing like I'm the idiot. And I'm like, well, that's a cool start to my freshman year, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it was that my reticular activation system, the thing that we focus on. That's what I really focused on all through high school, just all of those moments in which I was the loser. And um, yeah, and that's when my nice guy persona really started to solidify. And um, looking back through hindsight, through my lens now, I could see and still hear the voices of people for some weird reason thinking that I'm this cool dude. Mm. I'm like, what? Like, yeah, Stan, you're cool. No, I'm not. I'm a loser. So mm. convinced I was a loser. So convinced that when people told me that I wasn't, you know, that people actually liked me, I couldn't believe it. I didn't hear it. That, I, I held on to that for so long. All the way until, like, even in my last relationship, you know, 30 years, up uh, 30, about 25 years later for high school, 20 years later. I can't math right now. <laughs> But a couple of decades later, even my most recent relationship in which she tells me, Stan, I wish you could see you the way that I see you right now, you know, and how much she believed in me and just how she saw me as this amazing, strong and grounded person. And I'm like, no, who are you talking about? Yeah. Who is this person? I couldn't accept it, you know, and that was part of my lesson. That was part of finally showing me after the end of that relationship that people are seeing this in you for a reason and allowing myself the space to open that and just to fucking receive that from people now. Yeah. You know? So when someone says, Hey, you're amazing at this. Now I'm taking it. Like I stop for a second, kind of lean back, close my eyes and breathe that in. I'm like, ah, thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. That's received. And this is something that I learned from you guys in the men's group, like just to do that, just to be able to receive when you're, especially when you're having like so much trouble doing that, forcing yourself to do it the first few times. And then it starts to feel really good. You, you know? receive the ship and you do it incredibly well, man. So well done. <sighs> thank, thank you. I received that about my receival. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I hope that answers your question about where that comes in with it me. It does. Does what I heard here is there was a moment in in your freshman year where uh, you were ridiculed by the teacher and and the students. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which could be an access point to, um, and our teacher's framework could reveal, feel, heal. And when we're, we're whenever we're going back into you know let's say people pleasing mm -hmm. and nice guy syndrome is is looking at the origin of that. Because the practice up front here, which is beautiful, which could be some self-love practice, which can be receivership, which can be like, what am I doing now to work on it? Mm -hmm. What I've found is when we couple that with an understanding of where it came from, and then we start doing, we reveal it, like we've just revealed it with you. Oh, there's this moment in, in, in freshman year where 
I spoke about the war and it was just obvious to everybody else or the teacher. And there was this sort of ridicule, this condescendence come, came through. Yeah, when we go back there and we do the work there, we feel through that and then we start to heal that all of a sudden that shifts our identity and how we show up. And you also mentioned the word loser. Mm, mm-hmm. There may be an access point there around like, well, what does that mean to me? And what beliefs were formed? What did my, how old are you in freshman? We don't have, I know, we know of it, but we don't have those years oh, in gosh. Australia. Uh, 13, 14 years old. Yeah. Yeah. So what your 13, 14 year old boy's brain made up about you being a loser and being laughed at and whatnot in the class and doing some work around that and shifting those beliefs. You see, for me, part of my people pleasing came from when I was, and usually it will come from even further back than that. Now that's mm-hmm. been a pivotal point for you, but in our imprint years of anywhere from two to seven, when our subconscious is getting molded and formed as we're like a sponge. So I'm sitting in the back of our, my family SUV when I'm about six. Mm-hmm. I was so into my rugby, even then. And my stepdad uh, had made me go down and play and he was very good himself. And I just picked it up. So I wanted this approval and this validation from him. Now, remember, if I didn't play a good game, if I played a bad game, I'd be Mm -hmm. so fucking hard on myself. Mm -hmm. I'd just be staring out the window like this ferocious anger within me, like I should have played better, I can't wait till next week. And I remember this moment where I looked into the front seat and whenever I didn't play very well, my stepdad would just shut down. He wouldn't say anything, he wouldn't be aggressive, but he'd just be passive and just shut down because he didn't know how to handle it. Because his model of the world was, well, Tim's wasting his talent. So he would sit there and just drive home, complete silence. Not one word. Mm. And as a five, six, seven-year-old, when all I wanted was love mm. and to be seen and be accepted for who I am, whether I played well or not, I created these beliefs. He doesn't love me. Why is he being so mean? Why isn't he saying anything? Wasn't he just saying it? It's okay. You can play next week. Now, mum would take that role. And then looking at quintessential masculine feminine energies and the love and how that's shown, I get it now. But my six-year-old brain had no idea. Yeah. So this people-pleasing part started to come out. Well, how can I please him? How can I please my stepdad? Oh, I've got to play better next week. Oh, if I don't play, if I play better next week, then I'll get his love. This nice guy. And that morphs into nice guy syndrome as we grow up and we start replaying that, maybe in relationships. I've had many relationships. With, with beautiful women who I've just been more of a nice guy in. Mm, yes. It makes absolute sense. Yeah. So we all have it. Yeah. We, this is why I feel it's just so it's pervasive and it's yes. normal. And, and I'm using normal in air quotes because just because something is normal doesn't mean it's healthy. It mm. just means that everyone is doing it. And we just, we just have that expectation that this, this is just how we show up. And um, I've had numerous discussions with uh, with women, not only around their people pleasing behaviors, but because I'm in men's work, you know, seeing this through the lens of sharpening my masculine edge Mm. and being more healthily masculine. I've had numerous discussions about their perspective on men in general. Even they they're like, yeah, it's either the guy is um, when they like, oh, yeah, he's so nice. But there's always that stigma of nice is like he's kind, but then there's no edge to him. There's no mm. excitement. There's no, they often say that I don't, I wouldn't feel safe with him if something were to happen. 
you know, like they would be the ones that have to take charge. Mm. But then the guys who physically excite them, you know, the guys who really turn them on, uh, the, the, bad, the boy. bad boy. Yeah, exactly. The bad boy jerk, jerk face. A lot of them said they hate the fact that that is what they're, they tend to be attracted to. They hate that because these particular guys end up being assholes and unkind and they don't care about them. Yeah. And so it's like they want to be attracted to the nice guy. But then who they actually are attracted to, it's also not sustainable. But then they're just like, well, I get involved with this with this guy who has his own um, problems. But like, that's how I got into the relationship to begin with. Or, nope, I'm going to really try hard with this really nice guy. But it's really, really difficult. It, we've been married for, you know, four or five years and we're having all of these relationship problems because all really comes down to the guy um, not stepping up into, you know, his purpose and, you know, taking charge in a manner of speaking. And I'm not and what I'm not saying is women want guys to be in control. I'm not talking about that dynamic. Me specifically that I can really speak into is coming from the people pleasing, coming from needing the validation for the other person. I would do everything in my power to try to keep the waters calm, to smooth the boat, to make sure that they're always liking me. And so I would pour all of my energy into trying to do what's best for them. And we all have needs, but I was so focused in on that other person, especially in my last relationship when the relationship started going south. I stopped thinking about everything else. And it was just about her and the relationship losing all purpose and drive for anything else. It's just like all about her, all about her, all about her, all about her. Mm. And she's like, well, what about you? I'm like, what about me? I'm good if you're good. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, happy wife, happy life. When I stop now and think about it, I'm like, man, I didn't even know what I needed. Mm. I was so disconnected from my own needs. So disconnected that there was no take. There were no boundaries. There was no taking charge. Um, Like, I will say this. We have had discussions afterwards and I... The exercise that that we had to do in the coaching group of taking radical responsibility in certain times of our lives, I did that exercise with her. And I sent her a video of me taking radical responsibility of how I showed up. One of them was in not enforcing my own boundaries and not expressing the needs that were important to me because I didn't know what they were. And part of her response, she said, I never felt that you had an issue with your own boundaries. I had to step back. And I'm like, the reason why it felt that way is because I didn't have any boundaries. Mm. There were, I didn't have, there were like no needs for me to meet. I'm just like, boundaries? I'm throwing stuff into the air right now. Like, no, like whatever I have to do. It was that ridiculous, you know? And that had everything to do with at the end of the day, which is just how you feel about yourself, how worthy you feel, how lovable that you feel. You know, like that's, that's where it really starts. Where it discovered with me. Yeah, brother. Just trying to be loved by other people and through what felt like serendipity, being in a relationship with this person, not wanting to lose this person, clutching onto this person, dear life. And of course that's repulsive. It's repulsive for anybody. For me, that would be repulsive now if someone did that to me. It'd be like, oh, get off of me, (laughs) you know? Yeah. It's like literally a leech, like an energy leech. You know, yeah. When I open the story up to 
um, to other people. And they're just like, yeah, that's my story too. Or yeah, mm. I know someone who does exactly that. And on one end, it's cool for me in the sense of I'm not alone. On the other aspect though, it's like, how terrible is that? Of that's what's considered normal. You know, that's how a lot of us enter in relationship. And then we wonder why everything is so rocky. Everything is so difficult. And only the strongest couples who like want to go through couples therapy make it out because that's where they discover, oh, we're exhibiting codependence and people pleasing behaviors. Let's work on that. And then they make it through and become happy. What I've witnessed, what I've experienced first, and then what I've witnessed working with with um, girls as well, but mainly obviously men over more recent times as I coach just men right now. And I love that is there's this part of every man. And I used to say a man's greatest mission is to make his woman happy. Mm, I've heard that. And then as I as I, I moved through my experiences, relational experiences, and did more deep work on myself, I revised that. Mm. Bullshit. Mm-hmm. How I say a part of a man's greatest mission is to make his woman happy. Now, I don't believe in, the, in happiness per se. Happiness to me is an emotion and it's fleeting. I do believe in fulfillment. Fulfillment to me is one of the golden eggs. It's, it's something that when we can be fulfilled with who we are now and who we want to become. Yes. And I talk into as men, as a masculine man, which not all, but most men are around 80%, when we find our center, when we find who we are just now and we're always evolving, then all of a sudden we can feel more complete. We can feel more whole. We can honor the dance between our own masculine and feminine and we can attract a reciprocal. But until we do that, we'll be looking for that validation. We will be looking to people, please. We'll be looking to be the nice guy so we can get love. Yeah. So we can feel loved, especially because what happens is we're not modeled incredible relationships growing up through no fault of our, our parents' own. They're doing the best that they can. Absolutely. But how many, how many extraordinary relationships, and this is a question to you, brother, like how many extraordinary relationships in your circles that you know of that you could pinpoint and go, that's yes. Like how many top of head, you know, intu- intuition speaking? Goodness gracious. On the top of my head, I don't know of any. Like I can't, I can't just like snap my fingers to be like, oh, I know. Um, actually, wait. There's there is this one couple who are high school sweethearts, and yeah. they've been together for for a long time. She's a former coworker of mine back in the golden days, and I see her relationship with her now fiance. Just the way that I see how they show up, um, the work that they do, that is inspiring to me. Like that's the kind of relationship that I want where. It's always been said that, you know, love should be easy. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be hard. But it's like, all right, well, let's be careful of the semantics that we choose. I feel that you're willing, your willingness to put into the work because all relationships, there's going to be difficulty in every relationship that you get into, every single yes. one of them. But if both people are drawn and inspired to put in the work, to compromise where compromise is necessary, where that challenge, there's no challenge in making that decision there we go. When it's easy to say, yes, I'm willing to do the work. That's my relationship goal. Yes. Beautifully put. And what comes to me is there's an incredible relational expert, Esther Perel. Estelle She's Perel. from, yeah, have you heard of her? Yes. Yeah. 
she's been married four different times mm. to the same man. Four different times to the same man. Yeah. And there's a play on this evolution. So they go through different evolutions and they mm. remarry. Now they don't, they remarry themselves, but in union as well. Mm. And interesting, you know, 20 or 30 years worth of marriage. I don't know exactly. But when she said that, she's had four marriages to the same man, meaning that there's growth to be had at every stage. Mm. Mm. Now, without knowing that, what happens is when there's conflict, which is inevitably going to be, yes. as you pointed out, because we're dealing with another, another person, another yes. woman or a man here with their own set of emotions and beliefs and behaviors and paradigms of the world and how things should and shouldn't be. And we're coming up against those. It's called triggers when we have an emotional fight and response. So when we can look at it from a place of growth as opposed to, well, this person I need to separate and break and break up from because they're not for me or it's not working. Now, there's all these terms that we use, and that doesn't mean every relationship is supposed to be a lifetime. Most aren't actually. You may have heard, reason, season, or lifetime. Yeah. But what I've found through my relational journey, and I've been blessed. I've been blessed to be have had some incredible women and relationships in my life. And every single one I honor and I love and I take lessons from. Now, that's not always the case initially. Mm, But it takes your own work, your own growth. And that's why I'm so driven to help other conscious men to wake and expand and evolve themselves because I know the power that men possess and power from a centered, heartfelt, conscious place, Mm. not power like demand and control. Yeah. And when a man shows up fully, and he's not always going to show up fully, I know I don't. But when he shows up fully in his presence, he knows who he is, what he stands for, in his center, at this stage of his life, he will attract a new level of woman into his life, whether it's his current partner or man, depending on your sexual preference, or whether it's somebody else. Because we're looking at energetics here, the masculine feminine play. It's not just male and female. It's the energy that we're resonating with. So when we're, con- when we're playing on our people-pleasing and nice guy parts, which is still there, and remember, we want to befriend those parts and understand what, were they, what are they giving us. But we don't want to live through those. And we come back to our center and we keep evolving mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Then the external world, I call that the key three, So we've got the foundational four, which I just mentioned, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. Mm -hmm. When we look after that within ourselves, move through those emotions, keep upgrading our mindsets and our beliefs, understand our spiritual connection and work on our physical form in this 3D world, then the manifestation of that starts to happen in the key three, our relationships, our career or business or whatever our purpose looks like at this stage of our life and our finances. And that's been my relentless mission since my late teens for 20-odd years. And it's something that I'm so passionate about helping other men do right now in in their life. That resonates with me so, so freaking much, man. I'll never forget that uh, the past conversation that we had when we did our mutual check-in. And you used this analogy of the fishing line of, you know, when you're – I don't do a lot of fishing, but I still love this analogy – of, you know, you're standing in the river, in the pond, or you're standing or sitting down on the dock or whatever, but th- that's your place. That's your, that's your center. Okay. That's your groundedness. And then you have a feeling, you have an emotion 
you cast your line out to that emotion and you allow yourself to be there for a while, okay? Whether that's, you know, into your sadness, into your grief, or into your anger, or even into your joy, you know, into, mm. uh, into your love, um, into any emotion. Cast your line out to it, reel it in, accept it, and be in it. But then, yes, after you're done reeling it in, you're back to your center. Yes. Because when that fish is jumping out, jumping out there and just making splash, splashing up and making noise, it's always going to be there. It's always going to be super freaking distracting. Cast your line, catch the fish, but reel it back in and come back to your center. And so then you can be informed by all of these feelings. You can make educated decisions that are actually good, that are actually meant for the highest good, good for you and good for everybody around you. And the more that you do that, the more fish that you catch, you take away, you take back your control. The emotions no longer control you. Yeah. And, um, and I wanted to speak this out super quick because we had this awesome check-in before we started recording this podcast. And I'm like, I should have recorded this. <laughs> like last night, I was all into my emotions, experiencing some sadness and just listening to some music and stuff. I was allowing myself to be in that space. I was allowing the tears to come. I was allowing the joy of experiencing this emotion of sadness, which is like weird. I was, I was feeling joy while feeling sad. Going through and just being mm. in there, not even worrying about the story, which was also pretty cool for me. I didn't care about the story. I knew what that trigger was, but I didn't care. I let go of the story. I was just in it and felt better, went to sleep, uh, woke up, and I was perfectly great the next day just like ready to go and tackle the day and that was such a huge improvement for me because usually the night before that was my gateway into depression for the next day mm. and then i would have to deal with okay i'm depressed now okay and not even that i have depression i am depressed now i have to deal with this and get out of the depression and do all my tactics that i've gotten so good at doing and like oh cool it only took me a few hours to get out of depression I skipped over that step. I wasn't even depressed because I was actually letting myself feel. You hear that, guys? I was letting mm. myself fucking feel my emotions. Okay? Bravo, brother. For you guys who are really identified with your masculine, okay? You're still a human being. We still feel. Allow yourself to feel. And then when you come back to your center you're going to feel so much more empowered. And in the whole idea of masculine drive and directionality and consciousness, when you cast your line, you're doing it consciously. You're consciously going into that feeling, consciously coming back. And for me, that's been like one of the greatest exercises in becoming much more balanced in my own dance of masculine and feminine. You know, I've been so mm -hmm. identified with my feminine before I came in to the men's groups, and now I'm feeling very balanced out. And my feminine ain't going anywhere. You know, if my feminine, if I wasn't into my feminine at all, the show wouldn't exist. Like, period, end of story. Feminine is the creativity, giving birth and life into something, and to um, enjoy life in all of these creations into 3D. But it's my masculine that puts the directionality and the consciousness and awareness into everything that I do, making the magic happen. Beautiful, brother. And you're doing the, the, the dance, the beautiful dance of life, the yin and the yang, the light and the dark, the, the masculine and the feminine. 
And I love that you, you, you bring the analogy in because it's so powerful when we can cast that line out and we can feel and then we can come back to center. And I often say you can go there, but don't stay there. Yeah. And this journey of, of understanding, dealing with and handling emotion has been a lifelong one for me. Uh, to the point where I was 12 years old and I made a committed decision. I, I remember it clear as day. I was kneeling on my bedroom floor at the time and I just felt incredibly angry. Mm. And beneath that was some sadness and I started crying. And in that moment, I was 12 years old, I shut off emotion and I said, I said to myself, I'll never fucking do this again. This is weakness. Mm. I got up and for 15 years, I didn't shed one tear. Not one tear. Not one tear for 15 years because mm. my brain had equated it with such weakness. So I kept my emotions in a box, mm. not feeling angry, not feeling sad, but also not feeling the, the other side of the spectrum, much joy or happiness. Mm. And I'd sort of been this numb feeling. And so many guys that I connect with are there now. They don't really feel like, I don't know what that is. Like, yeah, I'm okay. I'm good. I'm fine. Rather than giving yourself permission to expand and open into the femininity, into that energy that resonates within all of us, no matter your masculine or feminine man or woman, and expanding upon that and seeing it just as energy because emotion is just energy in motion. Mm. But we're not taught this. I don't, know about, I don't know about you, brother, but there's no emotional 101 class in Australia. Yeah, no. It doesn't exist. Nope. <laughs> not in the States not either, Not in the right? States either, no. Yeah. So we're not taught this. And then furthermore, it's not modeled for us. How many of us had parents who would sit us down and say, okay, okay, Tim, Stan, how are you? What, what are you feeling right now? Are you okay? Having these types of conversations. Yeah. Now with the whole conscious parenting movement, it's becoming more prevalent. However, our parents didn't know how to deal with emotions, so therefore they, don't know, they didn't know how to help us with our emotions and to be able to emotionally mm -hmm. regulate. Yeah. So when you come, come to this point in our lives like you have and I have, we realize there's more to it. Like, huh, from your story and my story, mine had been learning to feel more into it. Now to the point where it blows me away, but it's some of the most potent and, and rewarding work that I do with myself and, and other men is helping men feel into their emotions with our check-ins, getting an understanding of what's really happening from a sensation standpoint and emotion standpoint in the body. And what I absolutely love, brother, is how you said without getting into the story. Now, we can play with the story later if necessary, if there's some patterning there, or if there's some beliefs that really need to be shifted. Right. However, in the moment, often the story or the narrative or the commentary in our head is what keeps us stuck. To the point yeah. the other day, I was in the kitchen making a green drink and I had this wave of sadness come over me. And there was story behind it. But rather than going into the story and potentially going deeper and perpetuating the sadness mm -hmm. and or beating myself up, which has been you know, a big part of my history, beating myself up that I shouldn't be feeling this, I stopped making the green drink. I stopped cutting up whatever I was cutting up. I closed my eyes. I put my hands on my heart and I just felt the tears. Mm. Felt the emotion. And it lasted for about a minute. And then that emotion, which is energy in motion, the energy mm. moves through me because energy is meant to flow. Mm -hmm. So when we suppress, we start recycling. It can lead to depression. It can lead to st the stress response in the body, the sympathetic nervous system. Mm -hmm when we keep suppressing the emotion rather than letting it flow after the minute, huh? Felt a wave of peace, kept on making the green drink, enjoyed it a few minutes later. So this uh, conversation for, for men around emotional intelligence and awareness is so prevalent. It's so profound. And when men are vulnerable and when men 
open and are no longer scared of emotion like I was for so many years, yeah. it opens us up to a new level of internal freedom. And if we think of the masculine imperative is for freedom, it gives us the internal freedom that we seek instead of trying to go out there and be a people pleaser or nice guy with yes. the people, the situations, the events or circumstances in our life to gain it when it's always within. Yes. You stop looking for that freedom through other people and elsewhere. Yeah. 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 I've had those moments now where, because that's always been my theme of being free because I've always felt like I was in a prison, mm. you know, in a prison of my own making or working for other people. I feel imprisoned by them, you know, really finding that internal space to allow myself to feel everything and especially turning that into conscious effort and choosing mm. that. It's freedom all day, dude. Like that freedom that I've always wanted. It was always within me. Right here. And that freedom, that feeling of freedom, I can start feeling it start leaching out into other areas of my life now. Like I'm on the yeah. beginning edges in which this is where I can really start manifesting the life that I've always wanted. And so I'm going out and doing things and deciding to do them. Like... Mm. Like, if the weather holds out tonight, I'm going to go out to the beach and do my karate and be all primal and shit. Like, I can't wait. Nice. If I want to go out and hang out with my friends, you know, I can make the choice to go out and do that. Or if I want to be by myself, choosing not to be with anybody, I make that choice too. It is such a mind-blowing change that I'm personally feeling in being able to do that for myself and accessing that freedom. It really changes everything. Mm. And so, for example, you know, you listening right now, if you're, if you're, you're not living, quote, your best life right now, you're in a life situation that you judge to, you know, it sucks. You're not living where you want to live. You don't have the house you want to have. You don't have the relationship that you want. Once you start doing this inner work and you start getting mm. this feeling that you've been searching for on the outside, when you generate that for yourself, just as Tim said, it manifests outwardly, okay? It'll naturally happen on your outside. You're going to naturally do all the shit that you need to do. You're going to be driven to go and get that better job so you can pay all your bills and move out of that basement apartment or whatever and get the house that you want. And you're going to have the boundaries so that you're going to attract healthier relationships. And the, the people who would normally take advantage of you won't be able to, so then they're going to go away. And then other, other people who are like, yeah, you're attractive, they're going to want to come and uh, hang out with you. And it's just this snowball effect that comes out of nowhere once you stop being that nice guy when you start giving yourself everything that you ever needed and everything that you ever wanted, not relying on anyone to do that for you. Suddenly it's just pouring out through all sides, like being thrown at you. And this brings me to um, the last point before, um, before we wrap this up, because man, we, I knew that we were going to find endless things to talk about. Yeah, um, man, we could jam all day. We could, we really could. Um, but I got more men's work to do after this. <laughs> uh, As do I. Yes. Never, the work never ends. So the question is how, all right? Like, how can we put ourselves in the position in order to start flexing these muscles? For me, the real importance is on finding like a support group. And my support group are my brotherhood groups. 
so my question to you, like, what would be the best and quickest way and what kinds of questions can we start asking ourselves to start unpacking our own nice guys that are within us? What comes to me is, you know, having a brotherhood and support, just to speak to what you're saying, is in- incredibly valuable. Mm. There's a different energy when you're supported in a safe, non-judgmental environment from other men who will support you, but also challenge you as well. So finding a, a men's group, obviously, you know, I've got mine, which, which we can point guys to if that's what they're interested in. Mm. But that's a huge piece. From an understanding around this people-pleasing and nice guy syndrome, a really great access point, like we've spoken to, is, is starting to feel more into your feelings, to get more in tune with that felt sense in your body, and also having something practical. So that's a practical component in itself. Just sitting for two to three minutes a day and feeling into your body. And we always look at sensation and emotion. So what sensations are you feeling in your body? And where? Understanding I'm feeling a tightness in my chest or heaviness in my head or queasiness in my gut. And then what emotions are sitting beneath and beside? So what emotions are there? Maybe some anxiety. It may be some gratitude. It may be um, some fear. And dropping story and dropping labels in terms of good, bad, negative, positive. Mm. It's just emotion. It's just there. Mm -hmm. That will help any man start reconnecting with the mental and emotional part of the body. And also, there's a spiritual element there too if you start bringing a high consciousness. Mm. One thing, brother, that's really practical around this people-pleasing part is we need to put, we need to look at the patterns that we play. So an example is the other, the other week I went out with my partner to, for dinner, for a date night, mm-hmm. and we ordered some food. And then obviously the server comes around. What do they usually say to you? May I have your order? Yeah. And then you order and then what do they come back? Maybe, you know, they, they bring your food and then what happens? They come back a few minutes later and then whatever, the, what do they ask? How was your meal? Yeah. How's it, how's it tasting? Is, is it good? Like, how are you finding it? And the meal that we got, it was just like, there was this cheesy dip and, you know, we hadn't had dairy for quite a while and it sounded really like this spicy, hot, cheesy dip. And it came with some, some as a starter and it came and we both looked at each other and said, what do you think? And we both said the same thing. It's a bit bland. The people pleaser would do what when the server comes over and says, hey, how's the food? Oh, this is great. You guys did a great job. Thank you so much for this not bland thing. Yeah, well, that's heightened people pleaser. But most, I was, yeah, good. Yeah, good, thanks. Uh, Yeah, right, exactly. I was being a little facetious. if you're centered in your masculine, strong, directional energy, if you're speaking truth, write that down and underline it, speak truth. Mm. Not from an egotistical, asshole, arrogant, jerk, abrupt, intense place, but just from a standard direct place. What would that person do in that moment? I would say, this is a little bit bland to me. Like, just quite simply, just say, yeah, you know what, you asked, it's a little bit bland, I'm eating it, but just FYI. Mm. You know, I, I, I guess with me, I put a little qualifier on it, you know, just FYI. Yeah. But it's better because I can easily see myself a while ago. Oh, yeah, it's good. It's fine. This is really great. But it's not. It's not. Hey? Yeah. So this is where that little people-pleasing part, that, that nice guy, I just want to be a nice guy. I don't want to rock the boat. I want to create conflict. I, wanna, I don't want to make him think that I'm difficult mm-hmm. or a nuisance. We sat there. We're eating the dip. We had a few chips. I stopped and said, I'm, I'm good. And then he came over and asked a question. How's the meal, guys? Said, actually, sir, appreciate you asking, but it's a bit bland, to be honest. Mm. He was like, okay, thank you for letting me know. 
well, you, would you like another one? Would you like another meal? And she said, actually, well, you know, if you wouldn't mind, we're looking at the lasagna. Great. We'll take this off the bill. We'll bring you the lasagna. Mm. Something really practical for any man or woman out there listening who really wants to understand that part of them and start creating boundaries is to speak your truth in the moment, whether it's with a partner, whether it's with the kids, whether it's with a friend, whether it's with the server. Tap more into what that is and do it from a heartfelt place, but speak your truth and knowing that you can handle whatever comes back. Yes. That it doesn't have to be a reflection of you and your worth and the approval or validation of oneself because the only place that you can truly have that from is yourself. Mm. Everything else is just a mirror. It's a projection. And guess what? It was great. We got the lasagna. We had that. They took that off the bill. It allowed them an opportunity if they saw it to grow in like, hey, maybe this dip is bland. Maybe we need to add some more flavor in there. Gives the both of you an opportunity to grow. Yeah. 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 Not always easy, especially when it's not a pattern. Because a part of us will be like, oh, oh we don't want to offend. Mm. I would challenge any man or anyone out there listening that you're being selfish not to. Absolutely. Yeah. And as we wrap up here, um, and I know we, like t- today's lens has really been through the men's, uh, the men's, the lens of masculinity and men's work. Mm. But I feel that this really applies to everybody. Everybody has issues with people pleasing and external validation. And the way that I really see with how many men are suffering from this and how many relationships are suffering from this, any woman should be interested in encouraging the men in their lives to also seek this kind of work, you know, and I'll get into it on another on another episode because we're just running out of time here, but encouraging the men in your lives to to find their balance, whether they're overly identified in the masculine and they're just unfeeling or they're overly identified in their feminine and they're not standing up for themselves and for their partners. Mm. You can help you by encouraging the men in your lives to also find this balance. Cause then I, I, this is just my personal opinion, but if there were more balanced men in the world, like it would balance the women out too. I've had discussions too with women where they ev- they own up to a lot of their behaviors and like, yeah, we don't make yeah. it easy for guys, you know? So it's a cycle on both sides in which we're, we're both yes. perpetuating a lot of these unhealthy behaviors with each other. But you know what? At the end of the day, we got to own our shit. Okay. And I'm talking about owning our shit as individuals and find out what we need to do to work so that we can complete ourselves and end that cycle. Make the choice now to end this cycle, get yourself out of this prison, people-pleasing nice guy, and start quieting that parasite. Tim, my brother, love you very much, man. Thank you so much for finally getting your ass here on my show. We made it happen. Yes, we did. It's been quite the adventure (laughs) trying to get this guy on the show, let me tell you. It's not because he didn't want to do it, by the way. (laughs) Of course not. And so, Tim, how can my listener get a hold of you, learn more about you and what you do, and see if maybe they can work with you if they're interested? Yeah, look, I'm on Facebook and and Instagram. Search my name, Tim Neal, T-I-M-N-E-A-L. Okay. Yeah, I'm on the socials. You'll be able to find me. You know, hopefully we can drop the links in the show notes. Yeah. So it's easy. It's been an absolute honor, man. I invite any man or woman who, you know, who, who... resonated with this episode and some of what Stan and I have jammed on to um to reach out that's what I'm here to do to awaken and expand and evolve men and 
obviously women too like I love women and um, <laughs> I get a lot of messages from women also appreciating me for the work that I'm doing so I encourage you as a man or woman if uh, if any of this resonated then you know my door's open so um, and thanking you brother mm. big love to you it's an honour to be here um, I love what you're doing here with the show and your podcast and man I'm just really grateful uh, for you as a man and to be part of the journey with you so thank you Thank you, Tim Neal. Big love to you, my man. And thank you, my amazing human. You're always hanging with me and inspiring me, keeping me ask these super deep questions so we can all grow and shine together. That's why you rock. Well, one of many reasons why you rock. You'll find Naked Rain Experience connections on Facebook and Instagram at Naked Rain Experience with information on the show and links to our Naked Rain Experience Discover Your Light Facebook group I invite you to connect with me personally in that private space. What did you take away from our time today? Have you been called a nice guy or a nice girl and felt that there was something derogatory about it? Come share with us. You're forever welcome in our space. I invite you to also follow me on my uh, personal Instagram at Stan the Old Fashioned Man. And let's share an old fashioned together. Email Stan at NakedRainExperience.com. And as always, there's NakedRainExperience.com. All the links for everything, everywhere can be found right there. So, as always, have a fantastic and safe week ahead. Join us on our social space for deeper discussions. I know you have opinions, and I invite you to share them and open up. This podcast is recorded and produced by Rain Soundworks. And as we close, my beautiful human, always remember this. You are lovable. You are loved. You are enough, exactly as you are right now. Light your divine candle. Raise it up high. You deserve to be celebrated. Lead others through the storm to paradise beyond the horizon simply by being you. Leave a light for the world to follow. Be extraordinary. Shine on, my beloved friend. <laughs>